John chapter 12 be taking our text from today. John chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 20 through 26, Lord willing. And then I've got several other passages of Scripture we'll be looking at. But our main text is going to be out of John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. I've titled the message today, Living to Die or Dying to Live. Living to Die or Dying to Live. When you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? John chapter 12, starting with verse 20. And here the Bible says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying for your help today, God. Help us. We'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. Well, uh, just setting up this scene that we just read about, we know a lot of things had just occurred. It's coming down to the end of, of things. Jesus knows his earthly ministry has wound down. It's time now. And here even set in our text, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. All before this, he said, it's not time. He kept telling them, it's not time. Uh, people would ask him things. He said, it's not, it's not time yet. Uh, they would try to make him king, and he said, it's not time yet. But now he's saying it is time. But a lot of things have happened. Now, he's in Jerusalem at this time. He had been in Bethany just previous to this and visiting the home of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, his dear friends. And we all know that Lazarus had died and Jesus had raised him up from the dead. And because of that, a lot of uh, his fame had just spread like wildfire, especially during that time. And people were coming out in throngs to, to see him. They wanted to be around him and and perhaps maybe see some more miracles like this. And we know he had just previous to what we just read in this same chapter, we call it the triumphal entry, where he's going up into Jerusalem on that, on that donkey that's never been ridden, and they're throwing the palm branches down in, in this pathway as he, he goes across there and looks out upon that city. We know all that happened. But the verse just before we read there, the, uh, the, the religious crowd, they were, they were upset about everything that was going on. Uh, but the, they thought the disciples had gotten out of hand. They needed to get, get things in control and they, they wasn't going to do that. And they even said the whole world is, or the world has gone after him. That's what he says there in that verse 19. The world has gone after him. And to those guys, I'm sure it, it appeared that way. I mean, there were pr literally thousands of people that were coming out to see Jesus. And so here we have a group of men, the Bible said were Greeks. Now, they were most likely Gentile proselytes into Judaism. They had probably uh, been worshiping uh, in, in Judaism, but they were Gentiles. And they had came there to um, uh, Jerusalem uh, for this occasion. They were there, and they're apparently devout religious men, and they want to meet Jesus. You know, they want a personal 
one-on-one -on -one with him. And, of course, everybody probably did, but these guys were kind of serious about it. And so they go and, and seek out one of his disciples there, and we, we see it there. It's uh, Philip. They come to him, and they tell him, look, we want to see Jesus. We want to be there with him. We want to talk to him a little bit. And uh, they didn't want to just look at him from afar and hear about things that, that may be happening, but they want to be right there in his presence. And so that's what they did. It said in verse 21, The same came therefore to Philip, which was us Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So two of his disciples that... You know, um, Philip and Andrew, of course, they were some of the very first. Uh, Andrew, of course, being there at the first with Peter and James and John, and then shortly after that, Philip. Uh, but these two men, there's not a whole lot throughout the scriptures about them, but here we find them mentioned. Uh, so they're apparently, you know, in in the crowd there around Jesus, and everybody knows who they are. They they belong to Jesus's uh, entourage, if you will. And so they come to them knowing that maybe they can get a backstage pass to see Jesus. That's what everybody wants, right? And so um, look at there at verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. All right. So this verse is a very important statement. As we've already mentioned, Jesus all before this is saying it's not time, but now he's saying it is time. So his time is coming down to the end. He is going to be taken. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to shed every drop of his blood. He's going to be buried, and he's going to raise, rise again in three days. And so all that is fixing to happen, and he knows it, and he just tells them right there, and listen, is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. That, that term, Son of Man, he didn't say the Son of David. He didn't say, you know, the Savior of the Jews. He makes no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile at this point right here. Now, before this, he, he usually did. He'd make a distinction. And he'd even tell his disciples, don't go into the, the way of the Gentiles or of the Samaritans. Go to the Jews. Go to them. But now he's broke down all barriers, and everyone is included in this. And therefore, he calls himself the Son of Man. And by the way, that's what he called himself more than any other title about himself. In fact, you see that term, son of man, I believe it's 87 times maybe. I counted it. I've got, I thought I wrote it down here. Maybe I didn't. But I believe it's about 87 times that he calls, 89 times. I did write it. 89 times in the New Testament he's called the son of man. And, of course, we know the reason for that. It's because he's identifying with man to come here to save us. You know, that you may remember that Paul Harvey story about the birds and the snow. You know, uh, maybe. I'm not going to tell it all because I'll forget part of it, but. The guy uh, uh, is, uh, sees the birds out in the snow, and so he tries to rush them into the barn to keep them safe and everything. And he said, if I could just get down on their level so they could understand me and know, you know, know that I'm not a danger to them and all, if I could be like one of those birds. And it dawned on him when he heard the church bells ring uh, that uh, that's what Jesus did so that he could be down on our level so that we could come to know him. And so that he calls himself the son of, of man. And so he came to die for all the human race, not just the Jewish race. Now, we know uh, at the beginning there, he did come for the Jew, but we know that from the beginning, the foundation of the, of the world, that we also were included in that plan of salvation. And so here he's foretelling uh, that he will be glorified. 
but he does not receive these Greeks. He doesn't say, all right, let them come up here and let's give them a, a little talk. We'll let them have some time. He didn't do that. And he, things are coming down to the nitty-gritty at this point. He's got to make sure everything is in order, in line, and he don't have time for distractions. Who knows what these Greeks really had on their mind? Maybe they want to sit down and have a, you know, a long, drawn-out conversation or whatever it was. But and, and besides, Jesus knows that you know these. The, I know these men want to see me, but they're not going to get to spend a lot of time with me because my time has come. And so they're not going to be able to just walk around with us like the disciples have for the last three and a third years. And so uh, I'm sure the disciples. It was probably a hard thing for them to hear. You know, well, he's not going to accept these men and. Now he's saying that the time has come and he's going to be glorified, but he's not going to be glorified or exalted until his death, uh, as we're going to see here as it keeps going. So he describes death in a peculiar way. Look at verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. All right, so first of all, we want to recognize what he does at the beginning. He uses the word verily, verily twice there. Pay close attention when you see anything like that in the Bible. He, he's trying to get our attention. And so what, he's, what those words verily, verily means, it means really, truly, without a doubt, and great confidence, I tell you the truth. You better listen. And so he's going to share with them this nugget of truth here that he wants them to be very sure that they get a hold of. And he said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. All right. Now, I don't know how much you've examined a corn of wheat. Now, in Jesus' place, they didn't have corn. The Bible calls it corn, but it's wheat. But in that area at that time, they didn't have corn like we have here in East Tennessee. They didn't have Indian corn. They didn't have any of that kind. But the, the corn of wheat, and that's what it's called, is, is just a, a one thing of wheat. A single wheat seed, but they're very tiny, and uh, they look like they're just insignificant, like they're useless, really. If you had a handful of, of wheat, corns of wheat, well, it's just it's nothing to us. We can just you know blow them off and, and not think a thing about it. But that little bit of wheat, do you know, wheat keeps the world from starving to death, especially in that day and time, because they didn't they didn't partake in the rice and corn like we have here. In that day, they survived on wheat, and the world still survives on wheat. Rice is the number one food source for the world today, then corn, and then wheat. Those are the three main food sources. If they've got those, they won't starve to death. And it's because you can get it in a lot of, a lot of bulk, a uh, big bunch of rice. My wife, she goes to Sam's and buys one of those big bags of rice. It lasts us forever, and, uh, you know, it, that feeds the world. But what Jesus is saying here essentially is, if you put a grain of wheat, like let's say you put a grain of wheat up on a shelf and just ignore it, it's going to sit right there and it's not going to do anything. It's not going to grow. It's not going to expand. It's not going to multiply. It's going to sit right there on a shelf. But if that corn of wheat falls off that shelf and goes down into the ground and dies, then things start happening. And so he starts describing all about that. And so if it remains dormant it's just going to sit there and never grow but if it goes into the ground and dies then it's going to reproduce and it will feed people that one single grain of wheat if it falls and dies and reproduces if if we all had a grain of wheat and we put it in the ground 
we could feed the world. Eventually, we could feed the world off just one little grain of wheat. And so if it sprouts up, it'll produce fruit, and we can feed the world. Jesus is comparing his life to this one grain of wheat. He's, you know, if I just remain here on this earth and walk around and teach and preach and, and uh, I don't die, uh, then there's go- nothing's going to be reproduced. Nobody's going to be multiplied. Nobody's going to be saved. But if the Son of Man dies, he's buried in the ground, in three days he rises up, we're going to see much fruit produced. And so he's, he's kind of giving this wheat as an example of himself. Uh, going into the ground, he's dying, speaking of his own death. Well, until the Lord was was crucified and buried and rose from the grave, we did not have a single chance. No chance at all. We're just like the world starving without any wheat. We'd be starving without Jesus. We'd die and we would go to hell and we would burn to pay for our sins. But because of Christ's willingness to die to himself, we can all have eternal life. Do you know Jesus did not have to die? He didn't have to, but he gave himself willingly to die for us. Now, when we become Christians, Christ expects us to die for our, from ourselves, to die to ourselves. He doesn't expect us to go and nail ourselves on a cross or have somebody nail us up and die for him. He died for us, but he does expect us to die to self. Why? Because we live within him and he lives within us. And so uh, he wants us to die to our self-will. He wants us to put him and his work uh, in, in front of ourselves. He wants us to put other people before we put ourselves. And that's a tough thing for most people because everybody's looking out for number one. Everybody's in love with himself. Look at there. He goes on to say in verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I once worked with a man, worked with him several years, and he thought he really knew about life. He would come up to me and he would tell me that I was naive, that uh, I was like a, a lamb out there, that I didn't understand the things of the world because I'd never done some of the things that he did. He would brag about all the places that he would go and travel all the people he would meet and all the celebrities and, uh, you know, the, the big, big wigs in the company and all this stuff, brag and brag about it, all the different uh, restaurants he'd ate in and uh, foreign places he'd been. And he would talk about all these things, and um, he, would, he would claim that he was living his life. He was living it up. And he would tell me that, that I didn't know what I was doing. I spend all my time at church and preaching and teaching and, and visiting and doing things like that. And that I had no clue that I needed. He told me this. He says, you need to get out in the real world and live. His motto was live it up before you die. Live it up before you die. Well, the truth is this is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible, nowhere in there you're going to find that the Lord expects us to go out and meet celebrities and, and experience life and all this. People talks about grabbing life by the tail, you know, and, and experiencing life and all that stuff. That's not what the Lord has in store for us. Listen, if you have never held the hand of someone who is dying, you don't know what it's like to live. 
If you've never held the hand of somebody that's suffering through sickness and cancer and disease and going through chemo treatments and therapies and everything like that, you don't have a clue what it's like to live. Until you kneel beside, beside a lost soul and help lead them to Christ, you don't understand life. I would tell my friend, my coworker, look, I, I don't want anything to do with all that stuff. Sometimes I had to go on business trips with him because he was my manager. We would go on business trips to places like San Francisco and such. He would always try to get me to go into the places that he wanted to go in. He took me one time in a place. It was, it was in San Francisco. He said, oh, you're just going to love it. You've got to see what this is like. And I knew I wasn't going to. And so we go to this place. I don't even know where it was at in the city. And uh, there was just hundreds and hundreds of people. And we go in the door, and it was so packed in there that you, you had to rub against people just to get in it. It was that packed. And there was the loud music. It was boom, boom, boom. The lights, you know, going around everywhere. It's like something you'd see in the movies, you know. And I walked in there, and I looked at him. I said, I'll see you later. And I turned around, and I walked out of that place. There was a... A bench in the middle of, it was like in a, kind of like downtown Market Square, kind of like that. And there was a, a bench out there. And I parked myself on that bench, and I sat right there and waited on him for about two hours. And he finally come out, and he said, well, you missed it. You missed it. And he's all drunk and everything else. Had to call, you know, a cab to come and get him because he couldn't drive. And uh, I told him, I said, look, this is this is not me. I don't do this. Uh, first of all, I am a Christian. I don't belong in a place like this. And he just laughed it off, laughed it off. Look, um, we need to die to self. This world is not about living it up and having a good time and partying. That is not what we are here for. Our purpose here is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, exalt him. To tell the world, and look, people like him, and, and there's lots of people like that. They're out in this world, they're wandering around aimlessly without a clue, not knowing that at any moment this life will be over. And all those things they thought they were living it up and living this grand life, it meant absolutely nothing. Because the next place they're going to go, if they've not received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, is going to be a place called hell where they will burn for eternity. People think they're going to go and party in hell. No, you won't be. You'll be burning and burning forever. Now, I've known a lot of people that have been very selfless people. They have went out of their way, in fact, so, so much as to neglect their own needs. Uh, you may know some people like that. There's some people that would go hungry to make sure that other people did not. I'm reminded of the story of a, a single mother uh, she's trying to raise her son out in the prairie, in the Midwest prairie. Uh, she and her son were out working in the fields, and I don't know if you know a lot about that area, but sometimes they have these fires that start, these prairie fires. And they come very fast, very quick. And if you're not aware of it, it'll be on you before you know it. And so she's out working there with her son, and she looks up and she sees the dreaded smoke coming up off the horizon. And she knows they don't have time to escape, that uh, they're going to uh, they're gonna have to face this fire. 
And so without hesitation, she told her son to lay down in this ditch that was out there in the field. He laid down in it, and she laid down on top of him. The next day, a neighbor came, found her body laying there. Burn up. They rolled her over, and there was her son. Not a burn on him. Alive, healthy. She protected him. She gave herself to see that he would live. Listen, you've not lived until you've died. You haven't lived until you've died to yourself. Now, many of you all know what I'm talking about. This, the short amount of time that I've been around you guys, I've heard so many testimonies of you, how you're taking care of other people and having to go through such trials and struggles. I appreciate you. I appreciate anybody that's going to sit with others and take care of them, sacrifice their own time, their own life just to help other people. Several years ago, I was pastoring out at Highland, and I would go nearly every week. I would drive up Edmondson Lane, and I'd go to this little bitty 1,100-foot square, 1,100-square-foot house. And I'd walk in there, and it was always kind of dark and dim. And my aunt, June Perky, would be sitting in there with her husband, Onlo, my uncle, he had cancer. He'd had cancer for several years, and uh, it was it was terminal. But he kept he kept living. He kept breathing. He couldn't do anything on his own. My aunt June sat there every day, every second, every hour, every minute, every week, every month, the years that she was with him there. She sat there with him. She fed him. I would watch her as she would she would put food in his mouth. She would get his cup and pour it in his mouth. She'd have to get his pills and put them in so he could take his pills. She'd have to bathe him. She'd have to put his clothes on. He couldn't go to the bathroom on his own. She had to go with him when he needed to go to the bathroom. And she spent every waking moment with him for years. And I would go in there and visit. I never heard her complain one single time. And I'll be honest with you, he didn't treat her the best when they were before he got cancer. He didn't treat her the best. But she'd been with him for all those years, and she loved him. And she sat there, and she gave herself. She died to herself to make sure he was taken care of while he was in that condition. Finally, Onlo died in 2011. My Aunt June went on to live another 10 years. She died just this past year. Uh, she would have been 89 on June the 27th. She died June the 11th. And she would have been 89 years old. She died from cancer herself. But I watched her life, and I watched her as she gave. She was such a giver. Now, many of you know what it's like to die to yourself. You've, you've been in the shoes of, of my Aunt June. I'm not even going to go through all the details about all the things we did with my mother and, and dad. Uh, you've heard them before, but the Lord never said that our way was going to be smooth. But he did say he would never leave us nor forsake us that he would be with us. And I'm thankful for that. Can you imagine going through such things without the Lord in your life? And there's people doing that today. They're trying to go through it. They don't understand it. They're mad at everything, mad at the world, 
trying everything in their power to 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 stay afloat, drinking, taking drugs, everything else to try to to get over the pain they're going through. Oh, friends, we need the Lord. I think the Apostle Paul understood dying to self probably better than anyone. Over in Galatians 2, 20 through 21, he says this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Paul understood the fact that once he was saved, he, he no longer belonged to himself. He just wanted to lift up the Lord Jesus. He knew that Jesus had done everything for us. Jesus gave his life willingly for us so that we could live. And so why would we not live for the Lord? How many of us can truly say that we have crucified ourselves for the Lord or with the Lord? You know, one of the hardest things in the world is to, to deny our own selfish desires. We all have them. We have things that uh, we like. But self-desire will drive us to do many things that we ought not do. Uh, many a man have, have fallen because of his desires that he's gave into. And if anyone had the ability to live within himself, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He was a smart man. He was educated. He had everything that the world wants before he, he met Christ on that road to Damascus. I mean, he was up-and-coming lawyer. He was going to be the best in the land, been under the best teachers. He could have had anything. You know, Paul could have said, you know what, Lord? You called me to, to spread your word, and here I am getting beaten everywhere I go. I'm getting put in prison everywhere I go. People are talking about me and, and everything else. Even those that claim they love me no, no longer act like they do. Some of my closest friends have left me in the ministry. He could have said, you know what, Lord, I give up. I'm not going to work for you. Why would I do that? He could have done that. He could have gave in to his own self-desires and, and all that. Go back to his but He could have went back to the Pharisees and said, look, guys, I made a mistake. I'm going to beg for your forgiveness. Take me back in, and I'll go right back the way things used to be. He could have done that, but he didn't. Paul had died to himself. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul no longer saw his life as his own. Over in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14, Paul writing this, to the church, he said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that I uh, that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So first of all, he addresses them saying, Listen, if you think that you've got a lot to brag about, listen, I've got a lot I could brag about. He said, If anybody has confidence in the flesh, it could be me. He said, Circumcised eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul had all these accolades that the Jews would have put on him. They'd say, man, he's a great guy. All the, look at his qualifications. Look at his pedigree. Look at everything that Paul has. And he says, I could brag about that. But look what he said there. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul said all that stuff is meaningless to me now. It's worthless. I could care less about it. In fact, I count it as low as, as waste is what I count all that stuff so that I may win Christ because Christ lives in me. There he says, verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made uh, conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow uh, after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. By the way, those last two verses are my life verses. This is the one that, that I claim for my own. We, we should all have life verses. There ought to be verses in the Bible that you can go to and you say, those are my life verses. These are not the only ones. You can have several life verses. I mean, you know, some people, though, they get confused and they think that giving up things is dying to self. Well, that's a good thing to give up stuff that you don't need. You know, some people say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give up eating chocolate, and the money I was going to spend on chocolate, I'll give to the needy. Wow, you're, you're something, aren't you? That's not, that's not dying to self. Um, that may be a noble gesture, gesture and all, but it's not dying to self. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 6, and 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Christ, even though we were in our condition we were in, lost, hell-bound, sinful, rebellious, no good for nothing, he still died for us. Would you do that for anybody? I wouldn't do it for, for strangers. I wouldn't do it for somebody out there. No, I wouldn't. I am not Jesus. I'm not Christ, and you aren't either. We don't have the love that Jesus has. He has a love that we can't even comprehend to give himself, to die for people that were sinners. Romans 14, 7 through 9, Paul writes, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. I love that verse right there. For none of us liveth to himself. He, of course, he's speaking about Christians. We're not to live for ourselves. We're to live for Christ. So how do we die for ourselves and we'll be finished? Well, the Bible tells us in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If ye then been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him 
in glory. <laughs> Look, it, it's simple. The Bible spells it out for us. Stop putting all your thoughts, your affections, and everything on the things in this earth. This earth is going to be burnt up. Quit worrying about all this stuff down here. Think more about those things up there. Think of those things which are lovely. Think of those things that are in heaven, those things that we one day will, will be in the presence of. Oh, friends, listen, if we would put our mind, our focus on that instead of everything down here on earth that seems to occupy all of our thoughts and time. And boy, it does, don't it? Hey, I, I'm right there. I'm right there with that. I understand it. Sometimes you get wrapped up in things. You know, you get on your mind. And I'm one of the world's worst. I get stuff on my mind. And boy, it just, Mary will tell you, it's like it runs around and around and around. And I sit there and I think about it and think about it and think about it until it drives me completely insane. <laughs> and listen, we all do it. We get stuff on our mind, things we think we need, things we, we thought we had to have. And we do everything in our power to try to get that thing. But if we would just quit thinking about all that junk and place our thoughts on the things of heaven, on the things of Christ, and realize that we're not here because of Amazon. Amazon's not our Savior. It's the Lord. If we put more of our thoughts on Him. But there will be a day when we'll stand before the Lord in all of His glory. We'll be there. The Bible says, You also appear with Him in glory. Can you imagine that day? What a day that will be. Wouldn't you love to be able to stand before him knowing you spent your life totally devoted to him and dying to self and living for Christ? Oh, it'd be wonderful. I, I fear I'll be one of those that, that comes crawling before him and all just feeling as low as low can be. God, I just I did not do enough. There's so much I could have done. There's so much that I spent time on that I shouldn't have. God, if I just gave more of my life to you and not myself. Which brings us to our very last verse. Look at John 12 and 26. It says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor let me ask you this morning, are you living to die? Is, is that what it is, live it up? Are you like my friend who says take life by the tail and live it up while you can? Or are you dying to live? Because the Bible says that if we just die to ourselves and live in Christ, that's what we need to do. What did it say there in our opening text? Jesus says, in verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Let's think about it, friends. Let's think about what the Lord's telling us. We can live a selfish life, or we can live a selfless life. It's our choice. Brother Scobbs, you come and get a, a song. I'd like to ask you this morning to please stand and let's... Uh, pray together and you may have a need you might need to come to the altar today and pray for whatever reason if you need to come to the altar you do that uh, if you want me to pray with you just just let me know and i'll pray with you but uh, let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father god we come to you this morning thank you for the message lord it's it's found me guilty lord if it wasn't for anybody else lord i know it was for me 
God, I pray that we can live that selfless life. God, the one where we die to ourselves and live for you. God, we know that one day that we'll be there in your presence. God, if we can approach the throne of grace boldly, God, knowing that we've done all we can do, help us, Father. Lord, help those in here today that may be struggling with something. God, you know what it is. Lord, if they need, need help today, would you help them? Lord, just uh, comfort them, wrap your arms around them. God, we want to glorify you today for everything, for it's in Jesus' name. And amen. If you need help, you come down.